apologize for making us sound boring. Um, but we, uh, you know, we've been looking at Genesis on and off for the past year. We looked, a li- we looked a little bit at one thing and then a little bit at something in the New Testament and back and forth and kind of break it up. But if you've been with us for the past year, if you listen to the recordings or whatever, then we have, you, will, you are now in the final piece of the foundation of the entire Bible, the life of Joseph. We talked last week, uh, we've been on our third week of Joseph in our series, Meant for Good. And as we saw, Joseph was his father's favorite. You know, Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. Uh, That was not a 21st century invention. There have been dysfunctional families for a long, long time. Uh, Joseph, Joseph's father played favorites very, very badly. You know, Joseph had two wives. uh, uh, Sorry, I'm sorry. Israel had two wives. Joseph was the only child that his mother had uh, that jo- until she died, uh, and she died giving birth to Benjamin. Uh, and so Joseph was Israel's favorite. He was the favorite son of his favorite wife, and it caused great amounts of conflict with his brothers. So, of course, one day his brothers say, I know what we'll do. Let's just kill him. They try to kill him. They throw him into a pit. They leave him there until they realize that the only thing better than killing their brother is making a profit on it. And so they take him and they sell him into slavery. You know, he is pulled down, down, down. A little while longer, of course, he is uh, sold in slavery to be Potiphar's servant. Potiphar, the police chief of Egypt, the captain of the guard. He's with Potiphar for a while and things are going really, really well. Until... Potiphar's wife catches, an eye, catches her eye on Joseph and decides that she wants to have him. So she comes to him and she says, lie with me. And he says, no, I can't do that. Your husband has trusted me with everything. Everything he has is mine here as a slave except for you as wife. And she says, lie with me. He won't do it. Finally, they come to a position where they are alone in the house. You know, We talked last week about how that is not a position you want to get yourself in. He is alone in the house with her, and she comes and grabs him by the shirt and pulls his shirt off and says, lie with me. She figured where uh, subtlety didn't work, maybe the direct approach. And Joseph does exactly what you should do when sin comes and grabs a hold of you. What's that? He runs away. (laughs) That's the only response. You know, we talk about that. The um, when sin comes and grabs a hold of you, rips your shirt off, the right thing to do is not enter into a reasonable discussion of, well, maybe we can come up with some kind of a compromise, right? You're a fool if you think you can come up right to the line of sin and never fall. And so Joseph, he, he runs away. He, because he's devoted to God, he runs away. But what we saw was that doing the right thing does not always make your life easier, Because he ran away, Potiphar's wife said, he tried to rape me, and when I screamed, he ran. And Joseph is thrown into prison. But then we came up on this very strange verse last time, didn't we? The Lord was with him. God was with him in the house. God was with him in the prison. One thing I want to point out to you is how much Joseph's character has developed. Uh, Joseph was a brat in Canaan. He went and he played supervisor and came back to tattle. That was his life. But sometimes suffering is exactly what it takes to develop our character. 
Sometimes suffering, sometimes bad things happening are the furnace that shapes us. And so Joseph here is not only being put in the right place to do what God wants him to do. Because you all know the story. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil the end of it by telling you that Joseph saves the life of everyone in Egypt and everyone in Israel by the end of it. But he's not just being put in the right place to do that. He is becoming the right kind of person to do that. So God is working for you and God is working on you in everything that happens to you. We read in Romans, God works all things together for good to those that love him, to the called according to his purpose. What does that mean? That does not mean God works everything together for a 3,000 square foot house. That does not mean God works all things together for a better job. That does not mean God works all things together so you'll never be sick again. It means God works all things together to make you like Jesus, to make you the person he needs to be, to put you in the place you need to be to reach people for him. Now, if we get that in our minds as the goal of success, then the story of Joseph won't seem so strange. But as long as we think in material terms, you know, you turn on the TV and you hear, you know, that if you just trust God, you'll be rich and healthy and never have any problems again. And I wonder what Joseph would have said if he'd sat down and he'd turned on CBN and sat there for a minute and been listening. He said, you know, just T.D. Jakes said, what? I could do what if I just had enough faith? He said, boy, it sure seems like God is with me here in this prison. And so God is doing all these things. And so that's why the title of our series is, of course, Meant for Good. Now, in chapter 40, um, at the very end of chapter 39, maybe I should give you a little bit of context. Uh, Verse 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God was with Joseph. He showed his mercy to him. And so he caused the warden to take a liking to Joseph. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Joseph, as a prisoner, becomes the first of the world's first trustee. He becomes basically the assistant warden. He runs the prison. Just like he had run Potiphar's house. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. I wish that we could you know, dwell on this more than we have time to. But I do want you to understand that the Lord made what Joseph did prosper. But that did not change Joseph's circumstances. God blessed Joseph, but he still bloomed where he planted. He was still in prison. You know, um, to, I, I mentioned this covering Sunday school for Brother Moons this morning, but last night I was listening to a sermon on the way home. Uh, we were up in Manville visiting uh, Brother Rains. Uh, I told the Sunday school class because sometimes pastors um, want to scream, and it's better for us to get together and scream instead of screaming at all of you. you know. Um, so I went up and just uh, you know, socialized with him a little bit, and Colleen and I and his wife um, and you know, talked together. And, and on the way home, we were listening to, uh, or I was listening to, Colleen was asleep. I don't know, this pregnant thing. She does that a lot. Um, you were, I was listening to... Um, I lost his name again. I lost his name again. Uh, my parents went to go see him. 
No, not Adrian Rogers. I was. Um, well, anyway, Tony Evans. I was listening to a Tony Evans sermon. So um, he was talking about, he was preaching on uh, Jeremiah 24, 11. You know, I know the plans I have for you. Um, and he said, you know, when he reads that verse, he, he reads, God, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. And he says, it sure is a good thing somebody does. Because <laughs> you don't know the plans God has for you. It's a good thing God knows the plans that God has for you. Joseph did not know. Joseph knew somehow his brothers were going to come and serve him. But he didn't know the plan that God had for him. But he prospered where he was. Where did God tell them that? God told them that when they had been in in captivity for years. And they were going to be there for a total of 70 years. God says, I've got a plan for you. Even in the midst of your captivity, even in the midst of your slavery, I have not forgotten you. So God was with him. Everything he did, the Lord made to prosper, but maybe not the way that we would expect. It came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their Lord, the king of Egypt. Let me give you a little bit of context here, a little more historical background, and then we'll pick up the pace. There are, and you know, when you think of baker and you think of butler, you think of that as being kind of a lowly servant. In Egypt, that was not the case at all. In the ancient world, that was not the case at all. There are two people who can kill you. You know, the, uh, it, you couldn't walk into the throne room of Egypt and, you know, stab Pharaoh. You'd never make it. You'd, be, you'd make it two steps. They'd see what you were doing. That'd be the end of you, right? The um, two people can kill the Pharaoh. That's the one that makes his food and the one that brings his drinks. In fact, if you were the butler, who was a cupbearer, you would sip whatever Pharaoh tasted first so that you could die instead of your king. And the same thing with the baker. The, the cook would taste the food first to make sure it wasn't poisoned before Pharaoh ate any of it. These are the two most trusted people in the empire. Nehemiah would later be the cupbearer to the king. He would later be the butler, and that's how he got the land of Canaan back. You know, he was given permission to build walls around Jerusalem because he was this trusted cupbearer. He gets this check that says, whatever he wants, give it to him. And he takes that around places. That's who the cupbearer is. And of course the baker. And they're both ceremonial positions too. They're involved in the worship of the Egyptian god Horus and different things. These are noblemen. And they both get thrown into the captain of the guard's prison. Now who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar, right? Potiphar keeps the royal prisoners. There are some smaller prisons probably for less important prisoners. But they get thrown into Potiphar's prison. Now, who else is in Potiphar's prison? Joseph. Coincidences, coincidences. He comes in, and they get thrown in because they'd offended their lord, the king of Egypt. That word offended literally means sinned, but offended is probably a better sense. It's probably not as strong as sinned. We don't know exactly what happened, but I'm going to make an educated guess. There had been an attempt on Pharaoh's life, and Pharaoh knew that it was either the butler or the baker. He doesn't know which one, and so like all great rulers, he throws both of them into jail. I say that a little bit sarcastically, but I can say that when I was teaching at Bay Area, and somebody got in trouble or had something they shouldn't have, um, then I would say, okay, nobody in the class is leaving until the right person owns up, right? You just hold everybody until you know. Uh, we did that at church camp. Somebody stole a dollar, a cookie or something. 
And uh, I thought I was just going to scare them into owning up to it. And I said, okay, nobody's going to play until somebody owns up to who took the cookies out of Darren's suitcase. Well, they were a little more stubborn than I had expected, and so we went to bed that night without talking, and they all missed their playing for the first part of the next day until somebody finally owned up to, well, I took the cookie out of Darren's suitcase. So I guess I have the same kind of strategy as Pharaoh. I'm not sure how I feel about that now that it comes to mind. But he says, I'm not going to let these people that are out to get me live, but I'm going to put them in Potiphar's prison. I'm going to put them where they're going to be you know, taken care of until the right time. So he, the butler and the baker had offended the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. Pharaoh was very angry. He put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Now, you need to... Wrap your mind around this. I think a lot of people don't read this carefully, and they miss what's happened. Joseph was placed in the prison Potiphar was in charge of. He was the police chief. The warden underneath Potiphar came to like Joseph and put Joseph in charge of the prison. When these two important prisoners come in, Potiphar himself says, Joseph, I want you to take care of them. Now, you want to know why Potiphar didn't have Joseph killed for raping his wife or trying to rape his wife. Well, Potiphar obviously didn't believe a word of it. Joseph's character had left him above reproach. Potiphar, of course, had to keep up appearances and he couldn't do nothing. But he also is not going to kill somebody for something he knows they didn't do. Now, here is just a, this is free. This is a little tidbit on the side. I hope that you live the kind of life where someone accuses you of something and nobody that knows you believes it. I hope that you live so above bar that when you are falsely accused of something, that to the people that know you, it seems impossible to be true. If you flirt with the line of sin, then when someone accuses you of something, they say, yeah, it was just bound to happen eventually. But if you run away from sin like Joseph, then when someone says, oh, did you hear what he did? You say, no, I don't believe that. He would never do anything like that. He would never even get close to that line. That's the problem, isn't it? We think we are so strong and so great that we can come right up to it. And how many times in your life have you come right up to the line intending not to cross it, and then suddenly you realize you're on the other side? So what did Joseph do? He ran away. And although running away did not, doing the right thing did not avoid consequences, God was still with him, and the character he had kept him in the position he needed to be in. So Potiphar still trusts Joseph. He says, I want you to take care of the king's butler and the king's baker. Even in slavery, basically, well, even in imprisonment, in slavery, God is still strategically placing Joseph. Now, they're both there. They're there for a season. We don't know how long. Um, We know Joseph's total time from the time he went to Egypt until he got out of prison was 13 years. But we don't know how long he was in Potiphar's house. We don't know how long he was in jail. But for some time, he's in jail with these two, uh, with the butler and the baker. And they continue to season and ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man his dream in one night, 
each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Joseph comes in, the butler and the baker, he notices that they're just kind of unhappy. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Everything else that happens is just because Joseph was a nice guy. He just saw, they looked upset, and he walked up to them and said, Hey, what's going on? Now, if you were Joseph, you were, in, you were sold into slavery by your brothers. You were imprisoned unjustly. And now you are, being, you are serving these two people. You're taking care of them, who at least one of them is there justly because he apparently tried to kill the king of Egypt. You might not have such a positive attitude about it. Think, well, who cares if they're sad? Not my problem. You know, how often do we have that kind of an attitude? It's not my fault, not my problem, it's their problem. They deserve what they're getting. And the worse of a mood you're in, the more you think about that, right? Joseph here in prison, because the way God had shaped his character, is not thinking about Joseph. He's thinking about these other people. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in a bad situation, there is usually only one person on my mind. But Joseph, because he was so close to God, he's thinking about other people in the midst of his suffering. And because he's thinking about other people in the midst of his suffering, God is able to use that to give him a pathway out. There's a powerful, powerful thing there. The harder you try to work for yourself, the harder you try to get what you deserve, the further you push it away. But when you start to say, I'm going to serve God first, what's he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you try to do the right thing first, God will take care of the rest. If you try to get what you want first, well, you'll never swing around to what God wants. Uh, This is true, of course, for, uh, you know, this is the way that marriage is supposed to work, isn't it? Is if I'm seeking what's best for me, and you're seeking what's best for you, That's a catastrophic marriage. But if I say, I'm going to seek what's best for you because I trust you to seek what's best for me, and I'm not going to have to worry about myself. Well, there's something powerful there, isn't there? Joseph trusts God like that. He says, God, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to be the kind of man you would have me to be, and I trust you to work out all the details. Powerful, powerful, powerful. So he said, why do you look so sad today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. You know, Pharaoh had professional dream interpreters in his court. Uh, Dreams are not that common in the Bible as a way of God speaking to people. Uh, There's three books of the Bible where people are spoken to in dreams. Genesis, Daniel, and Matthew. That's it. Um, Joel says, of course, your uh, old men will see visions, your young men will dream dreams. But actual dreams are only included in three places in the Bible. It's not the normal way of God talking to people. Because when it happens, it's not clear. It requires an interpretation, which in this case is exactly the point. Is that they get, God gives them something and blasts them with it. They say, I don't know what that means. And so... It's not God's normal way of communicating. Of course, God's way of communicating with us today is not unclear at all. He communicates to us through the written word of the Bible. 
And anything, any dream you have, any thought you have, any feeling you have has to be compared with that, you know. Um, sometimes people say just absolutely ludicrous things. Say, you know, I just feel like God's led me to do this. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to beat too hard on any one area. Um, but, you know, somebody says that uh, they just feel like they're where God wants them to be in a certain situation. You say, if God says in the Bible, thou shalt not do this, then God did not tell you with a warm, fuzzy feeling, thou shalt do that. You know, God doesn't contradict himself. Um, you know, if you say, you know, I just feel like God's given me this opportunity to lie on my taxes. They're never going to find out. It just all worked out perfectly. God says, I told you, pay your taxes. So I'm not now opening the door for you not to pay your taxes. You understand? Um, you know, God says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, you know, make disciples of all nations. And you say, I just don't really feel led to tell people about Jesus. If God says in the Bible, tell people about Jesus, he is not telling you with a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart not to tell people about Jesus. God does not stutter. So you always, if you feel, I, I don't, you know, I think some people go to the opposite extreme and they say, God never indicates anything to us in our hearts. I don't think that's true. But I think that we have to remember the Bible is supreme and everything we do has to be submitted to the Bible. You know, God doesn't say in the Bible whether you need to take this job or that job. But you look at the principles of the Bible, you renew your mind, and God lays on your heart what you need to do. But God will not tell you to become a drug dealer or a prostitute, right? You didn't say, God led me to this. You know, they say, you know, it just all worked out. God just led me to move in with my boyfriend. He didn't. You know, and you listen to people, you know, you, you, turn, you watch these music award shows and uh, heard somebody say, you know, they, I, I don't watch them. I, I think I've got other things to do with my time. And in fact, even if I didn't, I'd just find something else to do with my time. But I uh, heard somebody tell the joke that I thought was perfect, is that their favorite thing about watching music award shows was watching people thank God for their new song, Fornication is Awesome, right? <laughs> God, thank you so much for giving me the ability to make this rated R movie, right? God did not lead you to do anything that contradicts his word. So Joseph here, these two people have these dreams. Joseph interprets it, but he interprets it consistently with what God has already shown. So he says, tell me the interpretation. He says, the interpretations belong to God. Anybody can do it. You don't need a professional. It's whoever God shows it to. Verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. And as it though, and it was as though it budded, and the blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. There's a lot of threes in this dream. There's three branches. They do three things. They bud, they shoot forth, they bring forth grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them in Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Three again, Pharaoh's cup, Pharaoh's cup, Pharaoh's hand. And of course, I took the grapes, I pressed the grapes, I gave the cup. There's the repetition of three. And of course, we know three is the number of the Trinity. Three is the number of divine perfection. God saying, I've got something here. I've got a hand in this. And Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand. 
after the former manner when thou wast his butler. He says, here's the meaning of your dream. In the next three days, Pharaoh's going to come. He's going to say, chin up, you're back. You are my cupbearer again. Everything's going to be all right. That's good news. Maybe sometimes when things aren't going well with you, you don't want to give other people good news. You're like, how can they be so happy when I'm so upset? The Bible says to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So I've got some good news for you. Verse 14, but think on me. And when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. He says, think on me. That word, remember, the Hebrew. Remember me. Remember me and show kindness. Now, the word kindness there, the word remember is almost always used of God remembering his people or people remembering God. Okay? That's, a, that's kind of an unusual way to say it. Remember. That word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. Okay? H with a E-S-E-D. Hesed. Now, hesed means loving kindness. When you read in the Bible, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. That is, give thanks to the Lord, his hesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, his loving kindness endures forever. Now, what's the 